if you brought your copy of God's Word with you, open with me to the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. We're going to be beginning in chapter 12 together this morning. And man, when I look at my watch, it's already telling me I should almost be getting close to wrapping up, and I'm just getting started, all right? So you'll be glad to know that I, in, in preparation of knowing that we had a full schedule today, this, if you look at Matthew chapter 12 in your text, I can't do this for you on the overhead, but if you look at it from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way down through 21, is really one large pericope, a unit of thought. And it's dealing with issues relative to the observance of the Sabbath and Jesus bringing a new uh, revelation, a, a new teaching, not really new, he's really just bringing the correct teaching to these uh, to the Pharisees and their uh, their what they valued and how they put an interpretation on that. So I'm gonna this morning we're gonna get down through verse eight. And so when we get to verse eight, you're probably gonna feel a little bit like I've just maybe set you up for something because I did because the uh, the gist of it where Jesus is gonna put some beautiful um, application on what he's gonna teach in the first eight verses comes from nine through twenty one. And he's going to make um, a very direct application for it in such a way that when we get to 14 next week, it says they sought how they might destroy him, which is indicative of the fact that he is teaching something that's cutting sharply against something that they valued dearly in their religion, in Judaism, and their understanding of the right application of the law of Moses. So let's... um, Keep that in mind as we make our way through this passage this morning, and um, we'll make some application along the way for us as well. So, within conversations, perhaps you've had yourself amongst evangelical Christians, have you ever run into that conversation where you or somebody is saying, hey, are we supposed to be keeping the Sabbath? All the other commandments we see articulated throughout the New Testament uh, re-articulated uh, and, and espoused as that which we should be keeping. How about the Sabbath? Has anybody ever run into one of those Sabbath conversations? And it gets a little, gets a little bit, um, I don't know, mucky might be the word, because we realize that none of us keep the Sabbath day the way that the Jews kept the Sabbath, right? Did anybody take yesterday and just completely have a day of rest? Anybody? I mean, do nothing. And, and when I mean do nothing, I mean, what, well, have you read the Talmud? Have you read the 25 chapters in the Talmud of the do's and don'ts with regard to Sabbath law? You probably haven't. So you may think you took some rest yesterday, meaning, well, I, I kicked back. I watched a couple of football games. I really didn't do anything. Um, well, we're, we'll get to some of those particulars. But I think when we realize that no, no, none of us within evangelicalism, to, at least within this church here, nobody's keeping the Sabbath regulations and the Sabbath law. And so sometimes we spiritualize it, right? We kind of spiritualize it and say, well, God, it was in t- God had a good intent for a day of rest, and so it's good to just take some rest. Is that a good principle? I think that's a reasonable principle. There's nothing wrong with principalizing that a little bit and just saying there's a good time, need to take some rest. So whether it's on a Saturday or a Sunday, you take some time over the weekend apart from your daily regiment of work, and you just rest a little bit more, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good. It's good for the body to kind of get refreshed, if you will. But, we're gonna, but what we know is that we're not commanded to keep uh, the commandments as 
we as they were then. And Jesus is going to be articulating some things and moving in that direction. As we get to the end of our passage today, he's going to articulate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, if you're Lord of something, what does that imply? It means that you're master over it. You're the ruler over the thing that you're the Lord of. And in essence, he's going to articulate to them that he being the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who instituted the Sabbath, um, has the right to give the proper interpretation of the Sabbath, and they have been misabusing that greatly. And as a result of that, they've been inflicting a lot of spiritual harm in the lives of people. When we get to the New Testament, we see a little bit <clears throat> with regard to Sabbath, in particular in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And we see in Hebrews chapter 4 <clears throat> a passage like this one here, 9 through 11. This is just part of it. Read the entirety of chapter 4. It's dealing with the issue with regard to Sabbath. Um, and what we see in Hebrews chapter 4 is that Jesus, in essence, has become our Sabbath rest. Okay? That by faith and entrance into faith through conversion into relationship with the Lord, uh, we have thus entered into our Sabbath rest. And so it's, it almost seems as if the author of Hebrews lets us know that what God did in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2 in pulling out a day, he rested on the, on the, on the seventh day, he rested from his labors, that there was a, a practical application of that, but there was a spiritual fulfillment of that that was yet to come. And we see that in the person of Jesus Christ, which isn't surprising because as we saw earlier in Matthew's gospel, he was the fulfillment of the law, right? that Jesus, in a unique way, is also the fulfillment of Sabbath rest, where we cease from our labors of trying to earn a way back to God the Father, that in him we find that rest. And so the New Testament teaches some people may observe one day over another day, but don't be judged one over the other as to which day you prefer. Be at peace on those issues. It says here in verses 9 through 11, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, that is by faith in Jesus Christ, we see that from verse 1 down through verse 8. I didn't have room to put all of this here, and I'm not trying to uh, make this my passage this morning. But entering into salvation is an entering into his rest as the author of Hebrews is articulating here. here. It says, Has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. And the disobedience that would be speaking of there is the disobedience of unbelief. As they were unbelieving, let's not fall into that same disobedience. And so be diligent and so at the end of the sermon today, you might hear me say something like, today is the day that if you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, what? Be diligent. Be diligent to enter into that rest that is in Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. We can rest from our works because it's by faith alone in Christ alone. So these are some of the unique things in one of the few areas in the New Testament where we see uh, more specific, uh, specification regarding Sabbath and how that applies to us today. So again, in our passage <clears throat> this morning, Jesus is going to begin a process 
of showing how and why his Jewish brethren missed the mark in their understanding and application of Sabbath rest. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12 with me, and here we're going to see their accusation of this unlawful activity. There it says in verse 1, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. So contextually here, Matthew, his use of um, this opening and dealing with this issue of Sabbath, the first three words, it just says, at that time. And so kind of contextually to get our mind wrapped into at what, what time is this? Well, I believe that mo the most simple way of looking and understanding this is at that time when Jesus and his disciples were going throughout the Galilean region and they were preaching uh, of the kingdom of heaven that was at hand and thus you need to repent. So at that time, while they were out doing the work of ministry that we've seen from chapters 9 and from chapters 10, this is one of the circumstances that took place during that time. This is probably just one of many type real-life circumstances that Jesus and his disciples had while together, while doing ministry of preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus and his disciples, at that time, on one particular Sabbath, they were going through grain fields, the disciples became hungry, they picked heads of grain there in the grain field, and they ate. Now, we don't think about this as much, and for good reason, of just what a big deal and how central the issue of Sabbath observance was in Jewish life. It was a significantly big deal. Um, in the book of Jubilees, chapter 218, for example, it says that God and all the angels in heaven observed Sabbath even before the founding of the world. Now, you may be thinking, where did they get that information, right? That's kind of one of my first observations. Uh, where, where did they get that information? Well, it doesn't really matter. It's what they thought. That's how much they valued this idea of Sabbath. And again, in Jubilees 58 and verse 13, it calls for the death penalty for anyone who breaks Sabbath. For anyone who breaks Sabbath rest, um, death penalty was what was an appropriate punishment. For breaking the Sabbath. In the Talmud, a section, one section in the Talmud, you know what the Talmud is. The Talmud is a book written by the Jewish leadership, and basically it was a book of application of Torah, of how they were to understand Torah and make application for Torah. In one section of the Talmud, there's 24 chapters of Sabbath rest regulations. <laughs> 24 chapters of how to do and what not to do with regard to the Sabbath. Now, the Hebrew uh, word Sabbath, Shabbat, has just a very basic general meaning of ceasing or rest, um, a rest or ceasing from activity, just inactivity in life. And we know that the idea of the day of rest was rooted in the original days of creation. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, there in verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because... On it, he rested from all his work, which God had created in making it. God Almighty rested from his work. Now, are we to understand that God rested because he was physically exhausted? Now, God's rest 
on the seventh day wasn't because he was physically exhausted from the hard works of the six days of making all the world and everything that's in it. It seems to me that God's resting on the seventh, seventh day had more to do with a sense of God's compassion for those for whom he created, understanding that he was going to structure their life and thus their work week based on the days of creation. And in a very compassionate move, God rested on the seventh day. And then later we see in Exodus chapter 20, he commands his people in their work week that they need to take rest as well. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So the this uh, day of Shabbat there in Genesis 2, in, in honor of that day, it seems the Lord declared it to be a special time of rest, of remembrance for his people, and then had Moses incorporate that observance into the requirements within the Ten Commandments, kind of solidifying the, this this um, civil recognition that God has set a day apart and has made it holy, has set it apart from the other days to be uniquely um, something that God wants you as his people to do, and namely that is rest. You are to keep it holy, separate. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters, your male or your female slaves or your cattle or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And instead of taking a simple Think about this, a simple understanding of what it means to rest from your normal previous six days of labor, which doesn't seem like it'd be that difficult to kind of understand, a day set apart for rest. This very right and religious group of leaders of Israel determined that they needed to explain what God really meant by way of personal application. And as I mentioned, came up with 24 chapters in their Talmud, their religious traditional writings as to how and what you should do. For example... On Sabbath, you were not permitted to travel more than 3,000 feet from your house. That They believed that that was what God intended whenever he said this and whenever God did this and then codified it like this. This means that you cannot take more than 3,000 steps, feet, from your house. Uh, you were not to carry a load heavier than a dried fig. However, it does... Speci uh, specify that if you carried something that weighed half the amount of the weight of a dried fig, you could carry it twice. Just an example. Um, if by ha happenstance um, there at twilight the clock strikes and Sabbath begins, and you find that you've reached out and you've taken hold of, let's say, a, I don't know, a banana. Do they have bananas, Royce? Sure, okay. And you grab hold of the banana, and as you're bringing it back, you realize that it strikes Sabbath. You are immediately to drop the banana, or you're in violation of breaking the Sabbath. And what were the punishments for breaking Sabbath? Death. It doesn't seem very restful, if you ask me. Man, it seems like you're always on the edge of your seat, wondering if you're going to somehow violate some of these multitudes of regulations in fear of death. I don't know, maybe it's just me, I'm, I'm not used to this kind of religion and the specificity with, within it. 
Um, throwing an object in the air with one hand and catching with the other, prohibited. Buying and selling on the Sabbath, prohibited. No fire could be extinguished or lit, no lamps, candles, etc. So everybody by practice would light their lamps or their candles prior to Sabbath and hope that they would not blow out. They just burned them through Sabbath. You just, you just basically, um, you realize that man was made for the Sabbath, not Sabbath for man. And, and man was made there to serve the day of Sabbath because God made that day holy, so man was intended to serve the Sabbath. Isn't that what God intended whenever he did this and then he codified it within the Ten Commandments? Can't you see that that's clearly what God was intending, right? That man was to serve Sabbath and keep it holy. It's a holy day. God rested so you don't do anything. And so they put together all these regulations around it, all the, these unique things. And said, if you do it, punishment comes your way. And so man, in essence, finds himself serving the Sabbath. So ask yourself, again, do you really think that that was what God intended with a Shabbat, a day of rest? The keeping of all these regulations, these burdensome regulations indeed, which it seems is why most believe that Matthew inserts this unique um, illustration of Jesus and his encounter with these Pharisees, and it would almost seem that these Pharisees were maybe watching them. They knew that they went through the grain fields. They knew that the, his disciples gathered, picked grain, and ate them. It's almost like they had um, spies in the camp or around the edges, just looking for any way that they could trip Jesus up. But it seems, and most seem to think rightly, I believe, that Jesus inserts this Sabbath issue in his gospel where he does, in light of what Pastor Matt preached on um, two weeks ago, that which immediately precedes chapter 12, which was there in chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, finishing up chapter 11, 11, right prior to chapter 12. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, I'm going to give you some rest. Take Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Under their regulations, the Sabbath was anything but a time of rest. It became a time of oppressive frustration, anxiety, people who were who were sick, if you felt, by the way, if you fell sick on the Sabbath, it's, uh, they, in the Talmud they allow you to render enough aid just to keep the person alive. But if you rendered aid that actually was to make a person better, they considered that work forbidden. I mean, that's just another one of these unique examples of how these um, ungodly, uh, worldly legalists and how they made their burden very heavy and following God a very heavy burden indeed. They were in need of rest. And so it's no wonder that the Pharisees observing this and Jesus and his disciples said, of the, of, of, said this in verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees obviously having viewed the disciples picking the heads of grain, desecrating the Sabbath, 
probably looking for a means to make application of the traditions of man and bring condemnation and judgment against them. Now, in Luke chapter 6, we see this parallel account. And Luke adds one particular detail that Matthew leaves out that I find really interesting. See if you can see it here in Luke chapter 6, verse 1. See if you can notice the unique detail. Now, it happened that on a Sabbath he was passing through some grain fields and his disciples were picking and eating the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Did you see it? It's the, 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 this little piece right here Luke adds. Rubbing them in their hands, working. I mean, I think that potentially if they picked enough grain, it would weigh more than a dried fig eventually. Uh, but the Talmud said that if a person rolls wheat to remove the husk, it is sifting. If he rubs the heads of wheat, it is threshing. If he cleans off the side adherences, it is sifting. If he bruises the ears, it's grinding. And if he throws it up in his hand, it's winnowing. All of which, according to the Talmudic traditions, as prescribed by the religious leaders, was prohibited on the Sabbath and worthy of punishment. So Jesus sets out to clarify some things to these Pharisees regarding the purpose and meaning of Sabbath. And we're going to see this as we go from verse 3 down through verse 8, where the, he then sets them up for a very particular application of this, at which we saw in verse 14 they seek to find a way to destroy Jesus. Notice in verse 3, we're just going to kind of read. Oops, there's that little quote. I, had, I actually had the quote, sorry. Um, yeah, there it is. In verse 3 and 4, but he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? So this is Jesus here um, demonstrating and clarifying some things for the Pharisees with regard to their wrong application and understanding of God's intended purpose and meaning of Sabbath. In verse 3, but have you, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. Verse 6, But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And then he ends this section by saying, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So here we see Jesus clarifying three important aspects regarding the Sabbath and pointing out for these Pharisees how they have been misusing and abusing God's intended meaning. The first we see in verses 3 through 4. And Jesus is going to show how the Sabbath observance was not intended to restrict deeds of what we might call just genuine necessity. If there was a genuine necessity, a need to show what? Compassion. If there was a genuine necessity on the day of Sabbath that required work, the need to show compassion. Had you understood what I meant, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have rightly understood the reason that God intended for there to be a day of Sabbath. But you didn't. You've been abusing it and misusing it. So notice again here in verses 3 through 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest's 
alone. So this uh, consecrated bread is something we refer to as the bread of presence. The bread of presence was on, the, was on a, a table. It was 12 loaves of freshly baked bread being baked, by the way, on the Sabbath. And so each Sabbath day, the, the priest would bake 12 new loaves of bread and the, the uh, 12 loaves that, rep- that were represented on the show table before the Lord as a, as a memorial before the Lord of the 12 tribes of Israel, on each Sabbath, they would remove the previous 12 loaves and they would put a fresh 12 loaves of bread on this table. And those old 12 loaves at that point, they've sat there for a week in observance of recognition before God of the nation of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. That bread became bread that was the consecrated bread that was consumable, edible, exclusively for priests. Okay, that bread was not to be eaten by anybody outside of the priestly line. And so did you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions and so when we go back and we see uh, this account in 1 Samuel of David, uh, whenever he's on, uh, kind of on the run from Saul, Saul is seeking his life, and he goes into before the priest, uh, um, Abiathar, wait, what's his, is it Abiathar? I'm going off my memory bank here. I think that's right. He, he says, um, he, he recognizes that David is in great need. He's got, there's a necessity that he has. He has a need for sustenance. David is very wearied. Now, David doesn't completely come clean with Abiathar. He doesn't tell him the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He says that he's been sent as an emissary. He's on journey for King Saul. And that he's in need of some sustenance for he and his companions. Okay? And so what does the priest do? Well, he, David entered the house of God. And the priest consented and gave the consecrated bread. He said, this is all I have to give to you. And he gave David the consecrated bread for him and the men which were with him to eat. Which, by the way, was not lawful. It was not lawful for him to do that. But the priest, Abiathar, on that occasion, understood rightly the, the purpose within Sabbath where God desires compassion and not sacrifice. If there's a need of, of genuine necessity, it's okay to break that Sabbath regulation to do some work to do good to others. And we see that, that um, Jesus gives the, this as an example uh, intended to demonstrate to these Pharisees that God was not offended by this occasion and that the priest made allowance as well when doing so was necessary to meet genuine needs of his children. God had a different view of Sabbath rest than did the Pharisees. Secondly, in verse 5, Jesus shows how Sabbath observance was not intended to restrict genuine service to God. In verse 5, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? The priests, out of necessity of performing their duties, uh, had on Sabbath um, responsibilities. We see in Numbers chapter 28, very particularly notice this. Uh, then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offerings and its drink offering. So without question, these priests were in performing their sacred duties before the Lord and lifting way more than dried figs and doing work on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus uses this very obvious and well-known example to show them how they were 
um, straining after gnats, you might say, to make a wrong application, a burden to put upon the backs of God's people when making exceptions that, for, for, that were obvious exceptions within God's word, but saying that since this applies to priests only, our traditions of men are going to be what applies to you. And Jesus is basically showing them how incongruent their thinking is with regard to Sabbath rest, and had they understood God's purpose within this, they would not think the way they are thinking. And if this wouldn't have been infuriating enough for them, Jesus then says something in verse 6, it seems that it would really have turned their frustration into all-out anger. So whenever he says, but I say to you something greater than the temple is here. So making reference to the priest and their work within the temple, and then Jesus saying something greater than the temple is here. Now, it's questionable whether or not the Pharisees understood immediately or not that Jesus was referring to himself as being that which is greater than the temple is here. Whether they completely understood that at that point or not really isn't the, the, the point. By the time Matthew is writing his gospel, it's without doubt that Matthew as a Jew who's writing to Jews understands that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God who has come in the flesh. Jesus is the God-man and that he was indeed greater than the temple. And so Jesus, in stating that something greater than the temple is here, referring to himself, was making himself out to be God. Because in their thinking, there was nothing that would have been greater than the temple. And for Jesus to imply what he says right here from their perspective would have been blasphemy, something for which Jesus should die. And again, we're going to see in verse 14, they seek to do that very thing. They seek for a way to destroy him. So Jesus clearly is letting these religious leaders know unequivocally that he is God, that which is greater than the temple, and that they have misused and even abused his original purpose and intent for the day of Sabbath rest. Did they see that clearly with a statement like that? Perhaps not. But that's not really the case. That's not really what's most important. What's most important is that the Spirit of God had this codified that Jesus was identifying himself as being the Son of Man who is Lord of the Sabbath. And we see this very clearly. Notice how he says this in verse 7. Notice this. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, Jesus putting himself in the place of God, articulating and, and stating something that was a, a direct application to himself, that I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus repeated this same criticism, you may remember back in chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 13, and used the same Hosea 6, 6 passage, pointing out these Pharisees' tendency to focus on the outward aspects of God's law to the neglect of the inward, eternal, true moral precepts that were within God's law. So here Jesus yet again is seen rebuking these Jewish Pharisees for not knowing something that they should have already known. And by not knowing it, notice what happens. When you don't know the truth and you teach error, you bring condemnation to the innocent. Because then they start practicing the very thing in ways that they should not be practicing the Sabbath day in keeping with the traditions of the Jewish leadership as found in the Talmud, as articulated in the book of Jubilees. 
Jesus makes it very clear that Sabbath observance was never intended to restrict genuine acts of mercy. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. So if you find a man in need, and so next week, whenever he gets to the direct application of this, he's going to say, which one of you, if one of your animals falls into a pit on the Sabbath, isn't going to go and show compassion and rescue your animal from the pit? To which all of them would have been, well, they probably didn't want to like raise their hand on that one because they wouldn't want to be known as being someone who would purposely violate the Sabbath laws. But Jesus knew in their heart of hearts that each of them would. And is man not more valuable than an animal? And so then Jesus is going to do something on the Sabbath that then they go, their, their heads just kind of go, Phew. they just, they can't, they can't handle it anymore. And if you think about it, when we study from the bigger picture of understanding how Matthew is writing his gospel, when you get to chapter 12 and he deals with this issue of Sabbath, from chapter 12 and onward, you see a, an increased, a steadily increased opposition from the Jewish leadership against Jesus. And in particular, in their desire to um, apprehend him and crucify him, which ends in the crescendo, obviously, at the cross. So Matthew, uh, very wisely, it would almost seem that God wrote this book, has this encounter with regard to the Sabbath and the keeping of Sabbath regulations with these Jewish people while they're out doing the works of ministry. But from this point in the book, as he's writing it, the increasing of the um, animus against Jesus with, his, with these religious leaders increases with each passing chapter. It's truly amazing when you see it that way. And then to substantiate this truth, notice how Jesus kind of caps this off in verse 8. He's basically saying, because I, the Son of Man, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. How do I know that you've been abusing the Sabbath? How do I know that you, if you would have just understood that God's intent all the way from Genesis 2-3 and having that codified in, in, in the Ten Commandments wasn't an intention for man to become servants of the Sabbath, but there was to be a, a Sabbath day of rest that was to serve man. Had you only understood that I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have been abusing my word and condemning innocent people as a result of it. How do I know this? Because I am the son of man. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. By the way, what has Jesus been doing over and over with each village and town that he goes to demonstrating that he's God? He's been doing things that only God can do, right? The, 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 the signs, wonders, and miracles that he's been performing in in the multitudes, I mean hundreds of people. It would be hard, probably you'd be hard-pressed at this time not to know somebody in any of the towns or villages that Jesus went to where somebody hadn't seen the miraculous take place. And then he comes along and he does things like this, and they are so rigid and tight in their legalism of how things are supposed to be done according to their understanding that when the very Son of Man shows up doing the signs and works that only God can do, and then he says, listen, you guys have missed it. How do I know? Because I was there at creation. Now, I inserted that, right? But you could kind of obviously imply that, knowing who Jesus is. He, he was the one in Genesis 2, 3 that rested from his labors. He knew what he was intending with regard to a Sabbath day rest. 
where it was intended to be for man and not man for Sabbath. And so next week, we're going to pick up there and Jesus, we're going to see the climax of this conversation that Jesus has with these, uh, these religionists who have completely misunderstood the work and word of God. It's been before, right before, it's been under their nose. They've, they've studied it long and hard and they've, they've, made, uh, they've made their own traditions of men that became burdens that they laid upon the backs of all the Jewish people that they taught to in the, in the Sabbath. In, in the temple, week after week after week. Jesus has come to set them free. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In a little bit of a different context, by the way, here with us this morning, listen, uh, perhaps some of us have tendencies towards legalism. Maybe. Sometimes. Um. I think Jesus is kind of saying, like, stop it. Um, there's no need to overly and unduly burden yourself with rules and regulations that are not clearly and correctly and contextually articulated within the word of God. Part of discipleship is learning what Jesus has taught us. Amen. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But let's not go beyond that, church. Amen. We want to be a place where people recognize the freedom of the Lord that, that, resi that resides within this body, and they walk in and they sense that freedom. They walk in, they sense a, a, a freedom, a love that comes from understanding rightly that God desires compassion. So when a brother or sister comes to you and they're, they're heavy laden and they've got a burden, we're supposed to share people's burdens. And so whenever they share their burden, you may hear that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, Rather than kind of smacking them down with your own personal Talmud, just bring some correction. Bring the word of God. Bring some right correction, some love from the scriptures and say, hey, do it this way instead. Herein is human flourishing. And secondly, by application, listen, if you're here this morning, and I don't know, I don't know the hearts of all people, but if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, the, one of the main um, applications to currently in this short section here, dealing with his disciples and their taking of the grain and the doing the work of breaking it down in their hands and the eating of it, is the recognition that Jesus is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus didn't ever condemn them for what they were doing because he, he understands compassion. Have you made a decision to who you really believe Jesus to be this morning? That he truly has the authority to do and say the things that he's doing and that he is indeed the Son of Man. He's God who came in flesh so that we could have his yoke, which is light. If you've yet to do that this morning, today is a day of salvation. Enter into his Sabbath rest.